Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey hosting today. I am so grateful to have a conversation with Kim Petroni. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's um, I've been very excited about doing this. Awesome. You guys, I've known Kim for many years through AppSats and Adore of Hope. AppSats is the Association of Partner of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, which is an organization that certifies therapists and coaches and religious leaders in the betrayal trauma model. Um, also Adore of Hope, which is an amazing community that trains facilitators of peer facilitators for support groups. And so you guys, Kim is a partner coach. She's certified and trained in IRCAM, which is the early recovery couples empathy model by Carol, the coach. Um, And Kim holds a master's degree in counseling. Her passion is serving couples that are experiencing betrayal trauma. She also supports the betrayed partner as they navigate the trauma surrounding betrayal. Kim really has a specialty in coaching women who have to make the necessary but devastating choice to end their marriage because of sexual betrayal. And she empowers and encourages these women to take their life back and to live a life of joy and connection. So Kim and I are going to talk today about the difficult circumstances that many women find themselves in when their husband is not changing. Now, I say wives and husbands because the majority of the women in my groups, well, the majority of people that I minister to are women who have gone through sexual betrayal. But if you're the man and and you're the one who's been betrayed and your wife is the one with the unwanted sexual behavior or who has cheated, please just switch the pronouns around as Kim and I have this Mm. conversation. Um, This is the audience that we serve. So Kim, what, what do you think are the things that a betrayed wife can expect to see in her husband if he truly is changing and he's going to be able to maintain his marriage vows what should he what should she be looking for and seeing in the, be- the let me start off with the beginning phase is different than 2 months 4 months 6 months down the road so the beginning part of it you're going to want to see the husband being willing or the partner the betrayer willing to check off boxes. I'll go to my meetings. I'll find a support partner. I'll find a therapist. I will honor whatever boundaries you have. The wife, the partner has made or requested just for her own personal safety. I do encourage wives to not expect empathy. Don't expect a heart change. Don't expect it to be given joyously because he's in trauma and she's in trauma. So that first lump that you want to see your husband do that indicates he's willing to at least step into recovery is simply checking off whatever boxes you give him. Hmm. The next space is not only checking off the boxes, but then being able to really hold your pain, to hold the partner's pain, to hold their anger, their grief, their questions to hold that with honor and understand that the husband, the the male partner, the betrayer can now say, okay, I've got my check boxes. I've kind of, I'm ramped up now. I'm ready to go. I've got my armor on. I know I can navigate this and I can, I can handle her. I can take her. I can lean into her. I can just 
sit next to her while she's in pain without it pushing me underwater. So that's sort of the next space. So the first space, you got check boxes. Next space, you got the husband being willing to hear the pain. Then the next space is typically I encourage full disclosures, which is where he's willing to give her all the truth. And for the coupleship, what that does is that it allows the wife the ability to create a foundation, mm-hmm. a space that she can actually rebuild the walls to her house on. She knows exactly what she's got and she's able to make an educated decision. How am I going to make this marriage survive? What tools do I really need to do? What has my husband told me that, that are trigger points for him? Where does he not need to go? And for him to be completely honest with her about what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So first we've got sort of a big lump sum of safety and stability where that's going to be. We've got check boxes. We've got leaning in. We've got at full disclosure. That helps a wife feel stable. The next space is really the grieving part, the sadness. And because everybody's safe now, we can kind of poke around at our emotions. And again, it's super important for the husband to realize, okay, she's in pain. It's okay. We're going to redo. We're going to look forward. We're going to recreate this marriage. And we're going to be sad for a little bit while we put it away. How long are we talking here, Kim? How long... Because I, I find that typically the person who um, cheated or has the porn addiction or whatever, the, the person with the unwanted sexual behavior wants it to go by really quickly and they want the, their betrayed spouse to be done much quicker than is realistic yep. or possible. I'm not going to give numbers because I know that some people are like, I want it like two months, four months, six months. What's it going to be? But it's interesting because the path is very different. For the husbands, they're like, check, 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 check. Here we go. Got my disclosure. I'm all good now. Shane walks off. I'm moving on. And the wife was like still down here in grieving pain, bleeding out because she's just gotten all this information. So he's going to speed up and get to a level place. And I think that's actually really good because he's really in a space where he can handle her pain. So she kind of comes up to with him. They've got truth now. They can kind of grow through the truth. I'm noticing a really interesting dichotomy, though, is that when the wife starts to get a little more settled and she's managed her triggers, she knows that he's present because she's seen these behaviors, the full disclosure, everything that he's still willing to go to his therapist and come with a good attitude of kindness, that he gets to a space of, I'm checking all these boxes off. I'm I'm starting to show a little bit of empathy and she's, it's not enough. But like six months ago, all these checkboxes were were enough for her. Mm-hmm. And what really happens is they call it, you know, the post-traumatic growth, that end zone of the husband really integrating his own change into his heart, mm-hmm. into how he interacts with everyone. That's where she sees that finality of growth. Is he willing to be open and honest in a, in a room saying, yeah, I've got a problem. I treated her horribly. I'm a porn addict. I'm good now. We're, you know, we're working through the steps, but is he willing to be open and honest and gentle and still carry her along with truth? The general thought process is for partners to heal, really get into a good steady space is two to five years. Mm-hmm. And I think that the relationship takes that same amount of time too, because you've got two wounded individuals trying to come back to a good, healthy location. 
It's I agree. I agree. And I think it's really helpful for the one who did the betraying to understand this is going to be a roller coaster of ups and downs, hills and valleys, twists and turns, and to not be shocked when your wife, maybe she's even been stable and, and emotionally more regulated for a month. And then she'll hit an anniversary, like either your wedding anniversary or the uh, the anniversary of when she had a discovery or the anniversary of your disclosure yep. or a holiday. And, and it will thrust her back into the throes of what feels like the pit of despair, almost like back at the beginning. She's not back at the beginning. It's part of the process. Yep. And it, it, yes, for long-term stability and emotional regulation, it I think it takes exactly what you're saying, two to five years. And and that is quite normal. Absolutely. You know, and just you talk about the holidays and the anniversaries popping up. I've actually found too that couples will be doing really well. So they'll plan that vacation and they'll go away on vacation, have a great time, think everything's fine. And they come home to reality and man, the wife is all the way down again. Yeah. To help them prepare for that downslope of reality is helpful for the coupleship to know is it doesn't negate all this good stuff that we just recreated and rebuilt, but sometimes truth is hard. It is so hard. So Kim, um, when we see these situations where both members of the coupleship are doing their work and they are getting honest and they're getting um, closer and eventually through this whole process, like their marriage becomes better than it was before. This does not happen to everybody. Unfortunately, it takes two people working their individual recoveries and then and then eventually working together. So for the wives that are listening that have been betrayed, where their husband is not truly changing, or he might be checking the boxes indefinitely, but with resentment, contempt, anger, bitterness. So he's doing the things that he's supposed to do, but his heart is not changing. He says maybe he's not acting out anymore, but the way he's treating her is emotionally not good. Um, That is one of the hardest situations that we encounter, right, Kim? I mean, that's kind of a specialty of yours is helping women in situations like that. What what, What do you do with a woman that comes to you and her husband is not shifting? Well, the first thing I ask is, what is it, what do you... What specifically do you need to see from him? Yeah. For that shift. What is, is there one thing that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. If it's an internal shift, then that's not, you know, discernible. And she can't force him to change. No. A lot of times I'll totally shift direction. We take all of the focus off of the relationship, off of her husband, off of, the things that they're doing in recovery. And I totally shift it onto her. Who are you? What values do you have? What can you do? What do you want to do with your life? What's God created you to believe? Where And by internally sort of resurrecting herself to figure out what God's goal is for her, it can help her either discern, I'm, I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to let him figure himself out. And if he needs to be resentful, he can do that. But I'm going to sleep in a separate bedroom. Mm-hmm. He can do him. I'm going to do me. And I'm going to love the Lord. And I'm going to live in honor and integrity. And I'm going to do what I need to do. And we'll just see. If the abuse is extreme, it's screaming at her, um, volatile, 
if it's threatening, if it's um, financial abuse, hiding money from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really a different space. And instead, typically of going into internal values of who am I, we go a notch over what do I need to be safe? Yeah. What's, what does that really look like for me to be safe? Am I safe enough to stay present while he's abusing me? Or is it not okay? Do I need to go stay at my mom and dad's for a little while? Do I need for him to go to a 30-day treatment facility? Mm -hmm. um, do I need for him to stay with his brother? It, it, we really have more defined separation spaces so that the wife can, can be more, more healed and more able to kind of figure out what she needs to do to take care of herself. So a lot of times when a, when a wife is not seeing her husband really make those true changes, she needs to set some boundaries and which is what you're describing. Right. So, um, yeah. a lot of us, I think we, we might be able to say, here's what I need. I need you to leave yeah. and go stay with your brother or whatever, go stay with somewhere else. And then mm -hmm. let's say he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I pay for this house. So, you know, sometimes we don't even bother setting a boundary because we're afraid it's going to be broken or we set it and then it's broken. And how do you coach women through that? That's a great point because if he's a individual that's not seeking repentance and not seeking to really do the heart change of repair, um, it's tough. And I say this because I don't want hate mail from wives, but I say this because I've seen men who have had volatile histories and I've seen them change. Yeah, I've seen it happen. And it's not because the wife tolerates it. It's because she has set down firm boundaries. Yeah. She has said, if you're going to scream and yell, there's the bag that you have packed that we agreed to, you're going to go stay somewhere for the night. And if you don't do it, I've got to go because I can't handle it. My blood pressure is too high. I'm like, you know, having panic attacks, it's just not healthy. Yeah. Um, I, when I talk to a lot of couples over the years, what, and I ask the couples that have survived, what is it for the husband? What is it that made you made this work? What was, what was that one nugget that, you know, we talked for months and months and years about <laughs> honest to goodness, his responses. She had some insanely tough boundaries. It's yeah, my, my husband always says that it's, he sees about four out of five of the men who do change. Uh, they won't do it until there's some kind of an ultimatum. And not that we do an ultimatum to get the person to change. We, we set boundaries to keep ourselves safe yeah. and to restore our sanity. Yeah. But sometimes Absolutely. they won't wake up from the destruction yeah. that their behavior has caused until they realize they're going to lose. Everything. We're not going to be there. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's really helpful for the men to recognize that it's taking a physical toll on the wives. It's not just that they're emotionally dysregulated. It's that they are physically having all kinds of issues. And there are the men that are just, you know, just throwing a tantrum and just don't want to do it or just can't believe it. Sometimes when I put it in black and white, like your wife's going to have a stroke. Yeah. She's li literally going to have a heart attack. You're going I've to seen put it her into the hospital many times with yeah. wives that that yeah. have got, had prolonged betrayal trauma and not yeah. the right kind of support. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's that will sometimes really click the husbands into thinking, I actually love her. <laughs> like, don't want that to happen. What can I do? And that'll shift things a little bit. There are, there is another population of men that are just entitled. They are not going to change. And in that situation for those women, we go internal. How can they be self-sufficient? What can we do to prepare if, if it doesn't work? And they have to exit. How can they be prepared? How can they stay safe in the current environment that they're in? How long do they need to stay there? What does that look like? Can we talk about hard questions? How does a woman know that, Kim, that this is, this is, he's probably in that population of men who's entitled and is not going to change because a lot of times those types of men temporarily make some changes in order to manipulate, in order to keep her. How does a wife know that that's what she's dealing with versus true change? That is a great question because some of these guys are really sneaky. <laughs> um, for wives, frequently I will explain to them that the end all is not divorce. It is not, divorce is not the end of the world. Should, should, here's a catchy part. Should you choose divorce, it's really not the end of the world. No, in fact, it could be a huge relief and a provision and protection from God. Exactly. It also allows the wives to honor their own boundaries. And most of the women that are leaving relationships don't want a new relationship. They actually just want to get themselves stable and settled. And so I let them have the freedom to say, you know what, if I want a divorce, I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not dating anybody. I'm not, I'm just looking to get myself healthy. And for them, I say, you're not doing anything dishonorable by sitting in that space of divorce. You're taking care of you. That's the best way you know how to do it. If he's honorable and he's going to change and he's going to amend himself, you will see it in his behavior when you're out of the house. Because he's going to do everything that he needs to do to save that marriage. And it's not through talk. It's not through bribery. It's not through um, malicious behavior. It's not through any of those things. A lot of the guys that are um, entitled and abusive, they can't keep their lines, their lives aligned in a straight space most of the time if the wife isn't there checking on them. Does that make sense? Yeah. But then how does she know that <laughs> if she's not there? Honestly, she knows because when she's out, she starts developing that trust in herself and hearing her intuition and regaining the sense of the knowledge that she already had before. But it's a lot of times it's like guised in things like just be a better wife, learn to communicate better, do your Bible studies, pray over them, pray over each other, all of those things. And when you remove that and they, they take the wife out of it, then she can actually hear, oh, wait, it wasn't just pray more. He was actually lying to me. Or, oh, wait, I can pray more and he can honor my boundaries. Yeah. If I don't want 15 texts a day, he needs to show that yeah. and just send me one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what do you think is the biggest fear that you see in women wh whose marriages are not improving after entering recovery. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's being alone. Yeah. They do not want to be alone. Absolutely. And, and that's understandable, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, being alone means a whole lot of different things. If you have children, it's being alone raising children. If it's in your 60s, being alone after a 40-year marriage, yeah, that's like a mind-blown dream. Yeah. Where do you, how do you restart at 65? Um, a lot of the older couples and wives that I work with, their dreams have been, okay, so he's going to, we're going to take care of each other when we get old. What happens if you don't have that? Yeah. Um, that is the number one fear. So especially for the Christian community and the faith-based community, I want them to know they're not alone. Yeah. It's just different. God's not left them. It might feel like that, but God's still there. It's a different kind of not being alone because you don't have that plan, that body, that man. And Kim, you can actually say that because you have gone through the trauma and devastation of losing your marriage. Yep. And so you're not just blowing smoke (laughs) for anybody who's listening to this. Who's like, what does she know? Kim, she she knows you guys, she has gone through this. Then you probably in never in a million years thought that that would happen to you. Not a clue. No, no, it was, it was definitely a mind blowing experience. And I can honestly say at this point in my life, I am so fine being alone. It, the darkest points of my life were when I felt the Lord, the closest to me. Mm. I know he answers my prayers. I know he does. I know he hears me. Um, And if there is another man that's supposed to be in my life, the Lord is going to have to implant him in front of me and just make it really clear because I'm good right now. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not lonely. So it's, it's, yeah, I am speaking from experience. I appreciate you pointing that out. (laughs) Well, and I, I have the experience too. And what I will say about it is that it is, it is, uh, people always quote the scripture verse, it is not good for man to be alone. It is, I'm going to say this, yes, that's true, but it's also better to be um, single than to be in a toxic, abusive marriage. And when I say abusive, I mean, having a secret sexual life is a form of abuse. Yep. And if if a person is unwilling to change, you might be surprised at how much lonelier that is than mm-hmm. if you've not gone through it, listeners. It's much more lonely to be married to somebody who has a secret sexual life or is abusive than to be single. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, even from what the way God's created us to be too is to, and we all have a reason that we're here on earth. God's given us a we got to do something, whether it's being a mom or, you know, being a therapist or a coach or whatever it is. And I believe that our fulfillment is, is not found in my life partner. It's found in me doing what the Lord has created me to do. How do I honor him on this earth? What can I do to show that this experience has been worthwhile for me? How do I give back? So for me, that's been very fulfilling for me not to feel alone or isolated. It keeps me busy too. So it's probably a form of escape or something like that. But um, but it's also your livelihood. You need to work. Yes. So. Yeah. And I enjoy it immensely. So that's so good. Yeah. I mean, you're you're the epitome of post-traumatic growth where you've taken all these painful things that have happened to you 
and you're using it to help others. And that's just so inspirational. Um, so, okay. So let's say a woman finds that like her husband is not changing. He, she's put her boundaries down. She has prayed, she has fasted, she has hoped and dreamed and waited, and he is not shifting. How do you help women find their, their power, their strength, their hope in the, the idea that they could survive on their own independent of their husbands, no matter what their age, the status of their mothering experience, all of that. How do you help women through that? I got one word, Google. I teach women to Google, man, you can figure out how to solve everything if you Google it. So women, when they get into the space of, man, it's bad, it's dark, let me, there are two different things going on because I don't want to dismiss the um, emotional attachment that yeah. some women have on their partners and that survival instinct. And yes. it's it's really not easy to leave an abusive relationship. It's not. Yeah. Um, but if you, the more that you realize that you can function independently, you, know, you can Google how to fix a washing machine, fix a lawnmower, what to feed your kid, frozen meals cheap nights out. I mean, it is, the world is in a totally different space right now for women to understand how they can be independent. And it's all most of it internet. There's groups. Once they understand that there are people to listen to them, some of the groups that I offer are specific to divorcing partners that, man, they come out after eight weeks in a totally different space. They're not alone anymore. Oh, I can do this. It's so helpful. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember what your question was. Well, oh, the Googling. Yeah. What's something that they can do to really um, promote their own independence? And how do I help them do that? Google, understand that they have to give themselves grace too and patience. Uh, some of my clients that are in current abusive relationships where is there is no change. It's not going to happen. Get really frustrated with themselves. How come I'm not leaving? Yeah. Why am I just not walking out that door? And after being with them for a year, you can really see how that time was spent for them to become more empowered. They wouldn't have been ready to leave a year before. So to visualize that time as a preparation space, what am I doing? What am I learning about me? How am I getting stronger? Mm -hmm. Women know when it's time to go. They do. They just have to trust their intuition. It's hard because... um... So many of us find so much of our identity in being a wife and a mom. And we were having a conversation before we hit record here about God's design for women and what he calls us Mm -hmm. from Genesis on. Do you want to talk to our listeners a little bit more about that? I would love to. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, So a couple of years ago, I wrote, I have a really good friend named Christy McClellan. She is um, in Lifeway and she's a Christian um, Bible teacher. And I had gone to Israel with her and she does a lot of really neat things about encouraging women to understand how Christ sees them. What did he actually make us to be? And one of the lectures that she gave was about Adam and the gift that God gave Adam which was Eve, and God called her his Ezra Kenegdom, 
There are sermons all over the place that will talk about suitable helper and Ezra Conegdo. And Christy clarified with me, really, what does that mean? So I've taken a couple of notes, and I'm going to read a little bit, if that's okay with you. Um, yes. Thanks. So God created Adam to be his, created Eve to be his Ezra Conegdo. Ezra is actually defined as a helper. But when Ezra is used in scripture 21 times, it refers not to somebody washing the dishes. It refers to God, the Ezra, helping Israel because the Israelites couldn't do it on their own. God was the Ezra. They needed someone massive next to them in their battles to encourage them and provide knowledge and power. They needed a warrior. So when I think of a warrior, I don't think of a helper as, as helper as passive. I think of someone standing tall next to their husband, fighting for truth, safety, and honor. Not a woman doing the floor and mopping. We do that because it's the right thing to do, and we got to, you know, we got to keep the house clean. Let's, I'm not dissing that. Um, it's also not a woman who submits to verbal abuse. It's not a woman who obeys a faith community, hushing her from speaking her truth. So here's one example of where Ezra is used in the Bible. It is in Deuteronomy 33, 29, and it says, Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and your helper, your Ezer, your shield, your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and they will tread on your heights. So this doesn't sound like submission to me. In fact, it sounds to me like the Ezer. As an Ezer, I've been blessed with the honor to receive the tools to help protect others from enemies. In my relationship with my husband, I'm his Ezer. I get to help protect him from his enemies. And if in our situation, it may be this, the unwanted sexual behavior. How can I help protect you from that? I've been given this job to do. Let me do it. So that's the Ezer part of it. The Conegdo part is only used once in the Bible. And it's in reference to Eve. It refers to one who stands in front of or opposite to, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe. She's good enough to be directly in front of him, not behind, in front. So I think about this. Can you think about how you might have felt when someone stands in front of you, asking you questions and holding you accountable? For me, this kind of vision invokes a very tall person kind of scaring the lemon snot out of me, like, that is not like threatened. I, I, when exactly. you say that and describe that, what I what comes to mind is threatened. Exactly. And I think that that is not what that, that Conegdo is for. It's to help them stand tall. It's to help your husband overcome this space. Um, it means that we as Eves, we're to stand and question them, holding them accountable to their growth in the Lord as we speak our truth. Because we're not just good enough. We are a good enough warrior. And wives want to be that for their husbands. They want them to overcome this darkness, this evil, this brutality of the families. That's what they're all fighting for. That's why they stay. And when they're not recognized as the Ezra Conegdo in the family, it just devastates what the Lord has created them to be. It's brutal. Um, So I, I... I think sometimes when I work with women and I just see them, I'm trying so hard. I'm praying, Kim. I'm 
I'm listening to what my pastor says. Nobody's hearing me. That is not why God created you. He created you to be the Ezra Kenegdo. And if that means you get to stand in front of your husband and tell him, hey, this is not okay. Here's my boundary. And if you don't honor it, I've got to go over here because that's not what God created me to do. So he has a responsibility as well to honor her as his warrior. Awesome. That's my sermon for the day. I love it, Kim. I love it. It's so good. So good. Um, So dear listeners, this is a lot to digest. Take some time to take care of yourself. Um, My challenge to you, if you've been listening to this, is to take some time to process and maybe journal on the reflection of what Kim shared about you as a woman being an Ezra Konegdo. And what, what are your next steps for your boundaries? Like if, if there's still not change happening, if you're still unsafe, if you're still dealing with chronic lying or sexual acting out, what is your next move? That's my action point for you today. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to share with our audience. You are a huge blessing and a wise woman of faith. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Friends, if you haven't already, would you take a moment to rate and review the Living Truth Podcast? Um, Wherever you listen to podcasts, there should be an opportunity to rate and review. And that just gives more people the opportunity to see this podcast and get the help and the hope that they need. And until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you.